Another episode of Fun Belt Podcast. Guys, here in Houston, it's time for Rodeo Houston. There's smoke in the air, barbecue, there's brisket, beer, everything else flowing. I feel like the smoke off the grill is the indicator that we've reached the end of the regular season of basketball. And it's true. We, we've crowned two regular season champions with Texas State capturing the men's side, Troy on the women's side. And then beginning on Thursday, we have basketball in Pensacola. Yeah. And you know what's exciting about it, Tibbs? <laughs> I'll say it again. You know what's exciting about that, Tibbs? What is exciting about that? Anybody could win this tournament. Literally I think that, that anyone is- can emerge from Pensacola, the Sun Belt champion, and punch their ticket to March Madness. I think that's a mostly true statement. Mm. I think that there are a few teams. Okay that uh, a certain Southern geographical location would have to freeze over for that to happen. Hmm. Is this a, are you now you laying down some clues as to what those teams are? Am I too dense to pick it up? Would you like to leave more clues? Oh, you're definitely dense. Yes. (laughs) Admit it. Guilty as charged. (laughs) I think the best part about it, fellas, is, is, you know, I have said often that March is my favorite time of the year just for the kind of, you know, convergence of many different sports coming together. You know, we've talked baseball, we've talked softball. Obviously, March Madness gets, uh, you know, enormous attention. Uh, I just love that the Sun Belt starts the first week of March now. Um, you know, we know it did shift uh, in the last few years where you had uh, the tournament championships were held on basically selection Sunday and talking to some coaches around the league, they talked about how tough that is because really the seeds were basically set Saturday night. And it was just, all right, if this team gets in, we're going to do this. If this team is going to do this, it's this. And it makes it more difficult. I also look at it. You want the teams, you know, it's the rest versus rust, right? You want to say, all right, if they're going to travel to these tournament sites in basically two days after they win the title in Pensacola, now they actually have rest that can reload, um, you know, get ready, um, you know, kind of basically prepare themselves for that. Um, and and I, I will always maintain that the more experienced teams based on the men's and women's side uh, tend to favor better. They, they're used to that tournament environment. They're used to that, uh, that you know, that, the, you know, the game itself. And if things start going sideways, adversity, um, that you, you tend to look at teams. All right. How many seniors do they have? How many guys have been in this situation? How many ladies have been in this situation before, um, at, you know, playing in semifinal, quarterfinal games? And I think that's the fun part about it was we know teams can get hot, uh, get on a two- or three-day run, and, and uh, you know, take it, take home a, a title and, and obviously shake up the bracket. Uh, absolutely. You know, but you said a lot of good things there, Ben, but I'm still kind of wanting to pick Tibbs' brain on what he meant by that Southern thing. Let me – let me ask you this, Ben. Maybe let me let, let's approach it in a different way. What would be the one team who would could win the Sun Belt tournament that you would be like, God, they should not have won the Sun Belt tournament? I, I think the most stunning result on the men's side would probably be Little Rock just because they're <laughs> but hey, that's an easy answer. No, no, no. All right, let me reframe it's madness, that. man. This is the fun part, right? Like they could win the tournament, they could lose the first round. I said could say the same thing about Texas State. You know, Texas yeah. won the regular season and, and they look like they're basically peaking here as we've reached the end of February. 
depending on which team comes out of that first round game. They, they could get them, you know, on that, on that Saturday in, in the first round. We've seen it happen before. Um, so, um, you know, I think what, uh, if I have the stat correctly, 10 out of the last 12 Sunbelt regular season champions on the men's side have not won the Sunbelt tournament. So uh, madness, baby. That's why we're here. Well, let me ask you this. Before we start picking apart each team and wondering where the strengths and weaknesses are, I have a question for both of you. And uh, Tibbs, you might want to be the first to try this out on for size. Is getting that buy really worth a damn? Or does it, is there something to be said for getting that first round experience, getting those jitters out, you know, playing a team that may, you know, may, may be up closer to your level and, and, you know, working out some, some jinx and getting some play down. Is it better to play in the first round or is it better to have that buy? I like having the buy just so that it gives you what amounts to another day of sleep in your own bed before you're in a hotel that is hopefully mm-hmm. home for the next month or so, you know, but if you look at it, we talk about the lower seeds and, and we talk about Little Rock. Here's a scenario that, that plays out. And we saw it last year with App State when they won the conference tournament. They played in that first four of the NCAA tournament up in Dayton, which happens beginning on Tuesday. So let's say Little Rock runs the tables. Okay. Wins the championship Monday night. They're not, they're leaving Pensacola probably around midnight to head to Dayton to yeah. play you know, a SWAC school, a MEAC, whatever, to then try to get in to play the number one seed. I don't think that we want the lower seed to go because Mm -hmm. just like last year when we saw that App State lost to Norfolk State, it doesn't do the league any good when we see that type of situation. Much like as much as we all love Texas State and their fans love us, as we know by the, the Twitter interactions. They love us at Texas State. I don't want the Bobcats to win the conference tournament because I'm selfish enough to want them in the NIT and another team that can represent the Sun Belt in the NCAA tournament. Nothing against Texas State. I just want more teams in the postseason. Uh, that's that. You know what? That is an interesting way to look at it. And here's the thing, though. Texas State coming up with a nine-game win streak, the longest win streak in Sun Belt right now. That I – personally help <laughs> kick off that's right because even though the bobcat fans aren't always a big fan of the show you Thibodeau, are a big fan of the bobcats that i am and and your loyalty to the bobcats should remain unquestioned and when you say that you hope that the bobcats don't win just so they could be a prime representative in the nit you say that altruistically you're saying that as for the betterment of the sunbelt itself not necessarily out of some slight against the Bobcats. That is correct. Plus, <laughs> you have the potential of hosting an NIT game and me being selfish. I could make the pilgrimage once again to San Marcos <laughs> to witness the Bobcats in all their glory. And to enjoy some of that San Marcos hospitality that you have enjoyed these last couple of weeks or at least last few months. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, the old liver can uh, – take a celebration there of a NIT potential win. Uh, okay. But that's what I was asking when I said, what team would you not want to see win the Sun Belt tournament? 
And I'm not saying because out of out of terms of rivalry, I'm saying what is that team that not not UA Little Rock, who we know probably isn't going to win, but there are 11 teams out there who I feel like could have a shot at getting hot and suddenly getting that Sun Belt win. Who would you not want to see representing the Sun Belt out of those teams? Also, also selfishly, I would not want UTA to go because I want it to be a Sun Belt team or a returning Sun Belt team mm-hmm. that we can all gloat and bask about that they did win the conference tournament and have a good showing in the postseason. Because if the Mavericks win, then we get a lot of, well, maybe the Sun Belt made a mistake about kicking them out. Oh, they're really kick, getting their butts kicked by UTA now. Well, who's king here, right? Yes. I certainly don't want to hear it see that. That is an excellent pick there, Thibodeau. So have you looked at the first round bracket? That I have. And to me, the most intriguing matchup is actually the first game of the yes. Sunbelt Conference Tournament, Thursday morning at 1130. Absolutely. The Raging Cajuns and UTA. And that game is really going to set the tone for the Sunbelt Conference because Bob Marlin's team has the potential to go in and really win and dominate that team. But we've seen that UTA just kind of comes out of nowhere with nothing real special other than making buckets and getting wins. And here's another magical thing about that game. Should UTA win that game, which I do think they're a better team than Louisiana, even though Louisiana seems to have a lot of great talent. I I don't understand how they're not able to put it together. But should UTA win, it's an in-state matchup, UTA versus Texas State. So there's some extra juice in that second-round game that uh, that could lead to one of those goofball upset upsets that we see so often in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm very much looking forward to, you know, the first round games. I think, um, you know, we talked about Little Rock a little bit. Uh, we've talked in the last few weeks really about South Alabama. And again, you know, talented. Uh, they were just outside the first round by window there. Uh, you know, had, had a couple stumble to toe losses uh, late. Um, and you know we, we've, we know every single game just because of how much parity we saw in the league this year. Uh, you come back and you have a furious finish the last weekend, and, and, and uh, which I certainly enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but I mean, even that, you know, again, between the, the two alma maters of you, you two guys, you know, we, we, we get to see that kickoff. You know, we get to see ULM and Arkansas State, which I think is just going to be a fascinating matchup overall um, because, you know, to me, Truly, I think that's a coin flip game. I really do. Um, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, and again, when you're on a neutral court scenario, you're not, you know, you're not at home. You're not, don't have home fans necessarily. Um, you know, it's a new arena for you. You haven't played in it basically uh, for the better part of your season. Um, I just can't wait. I can't wait to see it kick off. And, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly be peeking in on, on every single game. Well, he, one reason, Ben, why you think the ULM Arkansas State game is a coin flip is because in some ways it literally is. ULM got beat by Arkansas State in Monroe, and then ULM came over to Jonesboro and beat Arkansas State in Jonesboro. So you, the game between those two guys, there's a little bit of revenge factor for both of them, and they seem to pair up very well. So if you're looking for a really good opening round game, ULM and Arkansas State is that game. Hey, Tibbs, I'm sorry one of those teams has to get bounced out in the first round, but it's going to happen, and you and I will have to be bitter uh, bitter evenings, 
bitter enemies on Thursday, March the 3rd, when that game happens. I'm okay with that. I, I think the <laughs> X factor is, is Norchad Amir. How much can ULM contain? They're not going to stop him, but how much can they contain him? And that's the X factor of whether or not the Warhawks are able to get the win or they're packing it in and headed back to Fant Ewing Coliseum. What about this other game that you said, Tibbs, that Louisiana UTA was probably the best game? But this one's, well, all right. This one's not going to be the best game. South Bama versus Little Rock. However, if South Alabama manages to pull it off against Little Rock, yet again, we have one, one of these sort of highly contested, sort of hot in-state uh, rivalries between Troy and South Alabama, four and five seeds. How good of a second-round matchup is that? Yeah, the second-round games are, are, are probably better than the opening-round games, in, in, in quite, uh, quite honestly. I think the better matchup that we're going to see or the better game is also the nightcap, though, of Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern. Hmm. I've said it before, watching Georgia Southern, it's ugly basketball, but it's effective. I could see them beating the chunks in order to advance to play App State. You know, they, they come into the tournament a winner of their last game. I suddenly forget who they beat. And they have had a winning streak before of three. And as we know, to win a tournament is to have a winning streak. Ben, I would like to, you know what, that's almost a controversial thing to say to Ben who, you know, Ben has a secret love for Georgia Southern, but may not express it here. Does Georgia Southern, Ben, have any shot against Coastal Carolina? Yeah, no, I think they have a really good shot. They, and you mentioned what? they grind you. Um, you know, they, they, have a, you know, they have a specific style and want to beat you up. Uh, they want to play the game in the high 50s, low 60s, um, and they really want to take you out of your what you do well. Um, you know, and – uh, you know, they, that's the other side too. They've got shooters on that team that can get hot as we've seen it in the last uh, few weeks where they can go on a, a tear, you know, get, you know, go and hit in two, three, four threes and a half. And all of a sudden, Oh my goodness, you know, you're down. Um, and I think that's the, the great part about the, the one game scenario, you know, to, uh, to look at, you know, a win or go home scenario, because ultimately if, if you go in with a specific game plan and you look up, at the, you know, under 12 timeout in the first half and you're down by 12, how many coaches are comfortable saying, all right, we're going to stick with what we brought in here or, hey, we have to really press a different button. Um, and, you know, do we need to press more? Or do, have we pressed enough this season? You know, you, you, you see teams, especially in March, get out of what they do best a lot of times um, when the players and the coaches know, look, um, this is the end of the season for them if they don't win. And um, I think it, it certainly has pressure. Uh, we've talked about it, you know, you know, I know in our group chats specifically on certain schools and coaches, we, we know the pressure is on them to win. And, and, you know, there may be some, you know, some staff changes basically in the league this year, uh, you know, if, if certain you know teams don't advance even a round or two. So uh, it's going to be fascinating. I cannot wait. Um, and as you mentioned, that Troy South Alabama game and knowing the tournaments now in Pensacola, not New Orleans, uh, that may have the best crowd. Uh, atmosphere uh, on Saturday with both of those teams being just a short drive away from the Civic Center there. Well, let's talk a little bit about those quarterfinal guys, the ones that won the bye, Texas State, Troy, Georgia State, and App State. Ben, what, what the heck happened with Georgia State? I think that uh, Georgia State started off, uh, I don't know, just a miserable 
condition. Didn't seem like they had anything put together. I, I, I thought maybe we would have to put you, Ben Moore, on suicide watch because I know that you expected so much out of those Panthers. And then suddenly, bam, seven straight wins. What happened? Yeah, I think the biggest thing they got healthy. Um, you know, Elias Semi is an all, all Sun Belt big man, um, and while he's not a guy that's going to, you know, lead the league in points necessarily, he is up there in offensive rebounds per game nationally. Certainly was last year. Um, you know, and a big presence at six eight, two hundred thirty five pounds in the middle. Since he has come back from his knee injury that he suffered uh, in the off season, uh, the team has taken off both offensively and defensively. Um, you know, and and kind of to the point now where the staff knows if they can get the game in the 70s now, um, they have a, a tremendous shot at beating just about anybody in the league. Um, since January, they have been top 15 nationally in defensive efficiency. They just grind you out. They were down uh, the final game last Friday against Louisiana, down 11 at halftime, uh, under 12 time timeout comes, 12-1 run, the lead's completely gone, and Louisiana basically disappears after that. They just have the ability with four seniors that have played a tremendous amount of basketball together and in this style um, to, to beat you up. Um, they lead, uh, I think they're top 15 in the nation in steals as well. So they have been playing very good defense all season long. Just now you're starting to see the offense pick up off of that and some of the shooting percentages and the, uh, and the outside shooting start to pick up as well. So, uh, But this is a, a super experienced team uh, I was not certainly uh, you know on suicide watch per se but uh, just uh, the team was six and nine and oh and four in the Sun Belt and people were looking around going what's going on what's what is coach Lanier and his staff doing what what, what is what are the what's wrong with the players what's going on and I think the biggest thing ultimately these guys got healthy <clears throat> they really had their COVID break earlier pretty much than anybody else in the Sun Belt um, you yeah. had COVID pause um, you know, two weeks, basically, you know, give or take without practicing, um, having a bunch of guys out now getting that, you know, their, their feet under them. And, and as I mentioned a little bit earlier, just have a tremendous amount of experience now. Um, you know, as I mentioned, four, you got four seniors. Jalen Thomas is a junior is really coming on as well. Uh, one of the more talented, all you know, skill bigs as well to come in there to compliment uh, Eliosa Semi. Um, and uh, again, Kane Williams, the, uh, the the Pat Pap senior, right, as, uh, as we could call him. Uh, he, he's played uh, – I believe it was his 98th win on Friday night at Georgia State. Uh, has started somewhere in the neighborhood of about 130 games uh, for the Panthers. So there's nothing that he's seen. You know, he's been in, in uh, on two NCAA tournament teams there under under uh, Coach Ron Hunter, and, uh, and then been has been kind of the captain of the ship here uh, with Coach Lanier. So I think the Panthers are dangerous. Um, they they can play with just about anybody, and as we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, they're just not losing games. They don't beat themselves as well. They average less than less than 10 turnovers a game in their win. So um, it, it's it's not the prettiest of basketball. They're not scoring 85 a game, but uh, the Panthers are dangerous and locked in and, and uh, certainly have to be up there uh, with Texas State and probably App State, um, you know, as tournament favorites. You know, Panthers, they're kind of lightning hot. But Texas State, to me, is a slow, relentless, merciless burn of a basketball team. You know, there's nothing very, anything really flashy about those guys. They just win basketball games. I believe they've won nine of the last 10 or something crazy like, like that. Tibbs, why is Texas State so good? Since you have obviously got your fingers on the pulse of the Bobcats, is, is it just Caleb Asbury or is it, is it, is there something else going on with Texas State that just makes them just so relentlessly good, especially when it comes to conference time? They're a team that has a bunch of players 
that allows them to, if Asbury's having a bad game, it's going to be uh, Marcellus that steps up and, and fills in for it. They don't have, or they have not had a game where they've just been bad and cold. They've always had at least one hot player. And like you said, they're kind of slow and meticulous in that you're like, oh, it's a back and forth, you know, two, four point game. Next thing you know, the Bobcats are up 10, 12, 14 points. I don't know how it happens. Voodoo <laughs> magic. I, I really don't know. But I, I, I think that they are definitely one of the top teams to beat here in the tournament. Even though selfishly, like I said, I would rather have another team represent us in the NCAA tournament to allow multiple teams in the postseason. With that said, who do y'all see as kind of the dark horse overall that is going to make the run and and be hoisting a trophy there on Monday night? Ben, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, sure. I, I like Troy. Uh, I, they, they have really, um, you know, they're well coached. Uh, we, we get to talk to uh, the women's, uh, the coach of the, the Lady Trojans here in a bit. But, um, you know, Scott Cross has done a tremendous job. Uh, you know, obviously we know what he did at UCA. Um, they showed him the door. Uh, there in Arlington, his alma mater, he comes right back to the league and has Troy uh, with a with a buy basically in year two. It's been really really impressive. Uh, that's a very dangerous team um, that that uh, I like. I mentioned South Alabama a little bit earlier. They have a tremendous amount of talent on that roster. It just really hasn't. Um, it, it's been a roller coaster for them for whatever reason. Um, you know, not not sure if just the the buttons that Coach Riley are, are pressing. Um, and then you got to look at App State. I mean, App State. You know, some may forget they won the tournament last year uh, and did it and are basically doing it with the same style. They've got four seniors, four juniors on that roster, and that's pretty much all that plays. So they don't go very deep. Um, they shoot a tremendous amount of threes. And when they hit, hit them, uh, they're in the game. And when they go cold, they're in trouble. Ben, I think that's the, I think Troy is a really good pick for that simply because Troy is also, they're defense oriented. They got that defense wins championships mentality. But what separates them from some of the other good defensive teams like uh, Appalachian State, for instance, is that Troy is just so deep. I mean, they play about, uh, I don't know, about 12 players a night. I, they, there just seems to be like no, no end to who they can bring off the bench and get extra minutes. They just wear people out. I think Troy's a really good pick. But I'm going to go a little deeper. I'm going to go a little bit more dark horsey than you on that, Ben. I'm going to pick a team that has a great outside shooter and a great inside presence. And that's Coastal Carolina. Also led by a, a sort of a, a legendary coach in Cliff Ellis. They got Isam Mustafa up in the middle. He's a legitimate inside presence. That guy knows what he's doing on the inside. And then they have this Vince Cole shooting from the outside, just making shots uh, uh, and getting hot when he has to get hot. Is Coastal Carolina the best team in the Sun Belt? No way. But we know that it's always the hottest team in the Sun Belt that wins. And I feel like Coastal Carolina, if you're going to choose a dark horse, might be a team that can string together three or four wins and win that championship. My dark horse pick, they probably have the toughest game in the first round there, and that's going to be South Alabama going up against Arkansas Little Rock. They have the talent, without a doubt. Yeah. And I think that we saw on that last weekend that they have finally started showing that they know how to pl uh, put it together and play maybe this is their chance to go on a four game win streak and, and dance into the NCAA tournament 
five transfers starting on that team, which is, is just incredible to me. Five guys, first-time players for South Alabama, sitting there trying to get it all together. They got two guys, uh, Manning and J.J. Chandler, who can both shoot lights out. And for whatever reason, they'll stay cold in the beginning. And I think Ben saw this in person when they played against uh, Georgia State. They will be slow at first and then have to claw their way back. And a lot of times when they claw their way back, they really make it interesting because those guys can shoot lights out. Uh, Tibbs, I think you and I thought that South Alabama was the best team in the Sun Belt going into conference play, uh, especially with uh, Georgia State struggling so mightily. With Texas State at that time, was even struggling a little bit. So there were a lot of guys struggling. South Alabama seemed like that team that was going to be the team. They didn't really put it all together. Now they're sitting there in the first round having to play uh, into the quarterfinals. Uh, but I think you're right. Uh, South Alabama is definitely a team that could be on top when it's all said and done. I have a different question for you, though. Of the four that got the bye, which one is the most likely to stumble and fall? And I'll start with Ben on that. I think it's Texas State. I think if just, just on their draw alone, um, I think you have, especially if they got down in a scenario, um, not playing in that gym. You, know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, hey, would it, does is it helpful to have a game experience in there? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, depending on uh, most, most coaches try to treat tournament scenarios like they would a road game. You know, go in there maybe a day, day and a half before trying to get some work in a walkthrough, um, you know, knowing, you know, sight lines and different things like that. Um, that does matter, especially in tournament scenarios, uh, having an ability, hey, I, you know, especially for, for teams that rely on the outside shot as much as they do. Um, it's going to be interesting to me because, you know, we know they, they got beat and really upset very early last year, uh, winning, winning the West. Um if you, you still got guys on that roster. So if in, you know, things don't go necessarily well in the first half, do you have a, uh Oh, here we go again. Um, scenario. Um, you know, they're again, very talented, very experienced. They've been through it. Um, but I, I think it, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. And I think they would, they are definitely a team um, that I could see losing early, but just as well winning the whole thing. That's a bold pick, Ben. How about you, Tibbs? What do you think? App state got to make the change of playing at seven 30. 8.30, their local time. I think the time change is going to mess with them. And if you look at it, the winner of that first-round game, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, plays App State. Same boat, same result. I think they're going to limp along until they wind up playing Georgia State in the semifinals for a trip to the finals. But I think App State is the one that, that has, at least in my mind, the biggest chance of falling flat. Here's my thoughts on this. They're in the... In the uh, solar system of the Sun Belt, there are only three teams who have a winning road record, or, or a, a road record at least that isn't a losing road record. Texas State and Troy have winning road records. Georgia State is uh, something like six and six. Everyone else has losing road records. Now, does that make uh, does that make a difference in a neutral site? I don't know, but I feel like that Sun Belt teams for whatever reason, are really good at home and not very great away from home. And that's why I feel like maybe Appalachian State, who plays extraordinarily well at home, they're almost impossible to beat in Boone. I think they're vulnerable when they're not in Boone. So I think of the four, I have to agree with Dusty, uh, the four uh, teams that get the bye, the ones that's, one that's going to most likely going to stumble will be the Mountaineers. 
So, Ben, we talked about the men's bracket earlier with our breakdown there. We can't, we can't forget about the women, even though it's really a one-horse show in the Troy Trojans. They dominated the regular season, 20-plus wins again. And now we have head coach Chanda Rigby joining us to tell us the secret to the sauce. Coach, tell us how are you able to do this time and time and time again? Well, thank you for having me on. And when you were talking about a one-horse show, I was waiting to hear who you were talking about because literally it does not feel like that. We, we literally are clawing and biting and slinging sweat and trying to win every minute of every quarter of every game that we play. So thank you for saying that. Maybe on the outside it looks easier than it feels on the inside. But, um, yeah, we're just really blessed. Um, I've got a great staff. My associate head coach has been with me all 10 years I've been at Troy. My recruiting coordinator came the next year, so she's been with me with nine years. And then my, uh, my other coach, Coach Neil Harrow, he came from Scotland. He's been here seven years. So first of all, and, and Coach Graff, my associate head coach, was a player of mine when I was a high school coach. So I think such a good staff, being together with longevity is a key. Um, you know, we, on the other hand, when you've uh, been together as long as we have and you've, and you've got a few rings and a few, we've been through a few championships together, you, ha- you, you think you would have to fight the word, the big C word, which is complacency. But, but really with my staff, they're just as hungry as ever. So I want to give credit to my staff. They're, they're the best of the best. And then we've been blessed with great players. I mean, it's just, it's really all it is to it. Um, that, that's the magic sauce. You know, I always want to have players that can play better than I can coach and give me a lot of margin for error, which I need. And, uh, and that's what we've had at Troy, very special players. Um, I just want to say that, uh, also my administration, when I got the job at Troy, they had a very big appetite to have a very successful women's basketball team. Uh, they, they hired me in the process. They were building a the $52 million new arena. So the last coach, the last coaching staff that was there before myself and my staff, they didn't have the advantages that I have at Troy. I have a lot of advantages that they did not have. And we've, um, we've had a lot of success, I think, due to a lot of those things. And, and, you know, when we got to Troy, we were the second to last team in all of women's basketball, 347 out of 340, I mean, 345 out of 347 teams, I think. And um, so from that area, from that respect, it takes um, the one quality that I do have that I think has been super instrumental in turning this around is faith. And you have to believe for things that you can't see and nobody else can see when you're trying to turn a team from second to last in the nation to winning five championships in seven years. And so that's what we've done. And, and I say faith, the ability to believe in something you can't see and sell that every day has been important. Did, did you really kind of have that vision that you would be in this position of four straight 20 plus win seasons after that first year where it was like, I think it was three conference wins, seven overall, or were you kind of gritting your teeth going, Oh Lord, here we go. No, never, never gritting my teeth saying, here we go. Um, I believe every opportunity I've had in coaching um, starting at the high school level, taking over a program that I, I, to get the job because I, I didn't have experience. I told the principal that I would win a state championship. And he said, we haven't won a, a conference, cha- a district championship in 20 years. So just start there. Well, I was there for six years and we were blessed to win six, six district championships, played for three state championships, win two of them. And then on the junior college level, went to, you know, at, let's say at Pensacola state college, you know, my, it was the toughest league in the, in the nation, the panhandle conference there with, 
played against Gulf Coast and, um, and Chipola and those teams. And the last two years, they was able to go undefeated throughout that league. Um, so I've had the, you know, you can only predict in the future what, you, what you've seen in the past and what you've experienced in the past. And that word faith carried me through those other levels of basketball. So I never wavered from believing that we were going to rise to be the best of the best. And, um, and, I, and I didn't waver at Troy. I, think, I don't think you can possibly turn a program around if the leader does waver. You have to have undaunting belief that, that it can be done. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking up and down the roster. Uh, I can tell you, uh, I sit currently in Metro Atlanta, and you and your staff have done a tremendous job by recruiting the state of Georgia. I know uh, locally we, we, we get we get the print, printings of all the time on, on how rough uh, men's basketball is in the state of Georgia with uh, some of the bell cows not doing so well. But uh, women's basketball, specifically girls' high school basketball, is tremendous uh, in the state of Georgia as well. Um, I wanted to see kind of some some insights from you because uh, I know a lot of a lot of folks come in here and try to grab uh, both talented uh, boys and girls as well. What what's uh, led to some of that success? When I took the job at Troy, I really had to talk my my way into getting the job because I had no Division One experience. I didn't. I wasn't a Division One player. I was never an assistant coach. Never been on the Division One level. So I had kind of a plan laid out to try to ease the or, or, or lower the level of the elephants in the room you know because and one of them was well one of them was compliance because they were worried about me being a junior college coach but the second one I had to have a plan for that and my plan for that was to bring a coach on staff that had division one experience which was my former player coach Graf she had been a head coach in her very young career but but the next thing was was um was that that we wanted to the roster that had been at Troy before was very heavily laden with uh international players not many local players at all. And, and, and as I mentioned before, the year before I came, they had only won two games. So um, I thought it would get the, the ear of the chancellor and the people that were hiring me to, to say, you know, and not to say, but to do it. We want to win the recruiting war at home. At the time, the other schools, the major schools that you think are major in the state of Alabama, you know, the big names, Auburn and Alabama, they weren't really powerhouses in basketball. So I tried to carve a niche and say, you know, you know, my husband's a football coach. I, I'm all for football, but, you know, I know in the state of Alabama, people are going to be saying Auburn and Alabama a lot, but I really believe there's a niche there and, a, and, a, and, a, and, and perhaps a, an appetite for there to do, be a women's basketball program that's, that's just far above everything else in, in any other thing in the, in the state as far as the, the sport of basketball. And, um, and I, I convinced them that I would do that and I would win the war at home. And um, again, when I, I won back-to-back um, -back championships at Pensacola State, I, I was operating only, I could only have a few out-of-state players, but Alabama was considered in-state there in Pensacola. So I won two championships uh, with five of my starters being from Alabama. So that was very helpful that they saw I could recruit the area and I knew the coaches and I'd been in the gyms and I'd done the time and to build the relationships. And so now I'm in, in, in Alabama, the, the state that, that touches me, of course, is Georgia. And so we, we covet Alabama first, but we covet that, that area of Georgia. And we do have some of the best of the best players from that state. And uh, I want to give credit to my whole staff because they're all great recruiters. But um, Coach Courtney Sims is my recruiting coordinator. She played at Louisville. She coached on a championship, national championship team at, um, at uh, Trinity Valley Community College. And, and She's she's a, she's a dog on the recruiting trail, you know, and I think we all are, but but she heads us up. 
We both cover recruiting uh, for, for a variety of networks for basketball and, and men's basketball. Um, I still have said that uh, there's not great sites, in my view, from a national level, uh, you know, as it relates to women's basketball. They are getting better. I will give folks credit there uh, that do have, uh, you know, rankings and things like that and keep up and, and be able to be able to, to evaluate women's basketball. Uh, but I found uh, overall – uh, the recruiting process now, especially, you know, we, as we know from football, you mentioned your husband's a football coach. You've got, you know, transfer portal. You've got this and that and the other. Uh, something that came up in an interview uh, recently by one of the Sunbelt athletic directors talked about NIL and, and the unique opportunity for women's athletes with that as well. Uh, but also there were some issues that one came up, uh, said that they basically were, were showing up for an NIL deal it may have been a potentially dangerous situation for this young woman. So um, have you guys had NIL situations or, or is that something that you guys are doing at Troy and, and how is, uh, how has that kind of developed as we know it, it's, it's changed obviously college athletics as a whole. It really, it really is changing the landscape. And so, you know, for me, I always had my head trying to look over the horizon for any new legislation that's coming out and make sure that I work it for our best, which I believe we made a really good uh, situation out of the transfer portal this year. We did lose Alexis Dye to Tennessee. I just saw her play. She's started every game for Tennessee this year. And, you know, it's, I don't think she had any Division One offers out of high school. She, out of Winona High School in Alabama, came to us, led the nation in double-doubles last year. Then the transfer portal rule came open and, uh, you know, the extra year of eligibility and and then the war was on to get her from the from the power fives. But but I think we didn't do great with the transfer portal. So now the next legislation that's come out that's affecting us is the NIL. And I have to be very I'm trying to be very strategic and very careful about how we handle that, because if you don't if you're not strategic about how you handle it, we're the second smallest town in, that plays any FBS football in the nation. Troy's the second smallest town. So we don't have. Um, I think I think one of uh, I see one of the one of the players in our in-state rivalry, which is South Alabama. I think she got a big NIL. Uh, I don't know, three hundred thousand dollar NIL for something like in Troy. We don't have a ton of car dealers or dentist office that are you know, we don't have all that. So, you know, as the head coach and as a visionary, I'm still learning, you know, how am I going to navigate that? Because I, I will not I will not lay down and lose players to this deal now that they might could go to another school and they're more likely to get an NIL. I'm trying to think of creative ways where we can use it to our, exam to our advantage. But yeah, you mentioned the thing of um, maybe unsafe situations. We have had a player this year that got called to Atlanta actually for a, um, for a possible NIL um, situation. And she was all set to go. Um, it's the landscape of, in the nature of the day, but she was actually gonna have to miss a practice ago. But we did further research into it just for her protection and her um, just making sure everything was up and up and, and got some red flags. And I think people are seeing that over and over and over. Every, everybody is just so anxious to, to get that NIL as far as players, it's good for them, but programs, it's good for us for recruiting to say players in our program, get that NIL. But I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit and make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the safety and the overall health of our, of our players, not just, physical health, but emotional and, um, and thinking about their futures, what, what can set them up or what could possibly hinder them. So we talked about the landscape of the game as a whole, as we shift gears to your team going into this conference tournament, as we said, it's really a, a, a two horse show. I think it's Troy UTA in the finals. What do you feel that you can do 
with your deep bench, because you you have a lot of players that have averaged double digits throughout the year that can really propel Troy into that conference championship on Monday. I hate that it's Monday, by the way. And again, going into the NCAA regional. Well, first of all, thank you for speaking that, that you believe it's, you know, us that's in that championship. Thank you so much. But um, I'll take anything positive we can get. But, you know, I think the work has started about 360 days ago or, or maybe 385 days ago, because from day one, from the last championship we won, right after that, we started really talking about winning the next championship. Okay, so we, we repeated a championship. We, two, we, we, had, we got a back-to-back championships, but a three-peat has not been done. And so you have two opportunities in the Sun Belt to win a championship. You can win it outright, and you can win the tournament. So you would think that we would be like, okay, we did it. We three-peated a championship. That's great. But if you look back at what happened last year in the NCAA tournament at the Texas A&M game, Nobody in my program or on my campus or that is a Troy fan is okay with us just having an outright championship because that doesn't get you in a one bid league. It doesn't get you back to the NCAA championship tournament to try to redeem yourself there. As you know, we were just a few situations that uh, away, just a, one or two little things away from, from being that team that, that wins in the NCAA tournament. And if you look at what happened after the Texas A&M game, who they went on and how they played, and who, I believe we would have made a big run in that tournament. So we have three-peated a championship. We started, what, what are we doing to set that up? It started the minute after we, we won the last one. We started talking. Uh, Coach Neil Harrell, my assistant, says, I really don't give the players a choice. That's all we talk about. That's all we do is you're, gonna, you're champions. We're more than champions. This is what we do. We're champions. So they believe it's only acceptable to win a championship, and they, they behave in a way that's, very conducive to winning championships. Their habits are conducive to producing championships, I like to think. And and so, but what's really at stake now is the three games we have to win to do what we, we really haven't taken a good peaceful breath, I don't think, since we lost in that Texas A&M game. We want to get back in the NCAA tournament. We believe this year that's why we did what we did with our scheduling. We played five or six power five teams that we didn't have to play in the pre-conference. Duke. Wake Forest, Mississippi State, we got that big win. We did all that, all in the hopes that we could win the Sun Belt Tournament again and get back at the NCAA Tournament, perhaps get a better seed and make a run in that tournament. So with all that said, the men always seem to get the, get the, uh, the limelight, so to say, of basketball. Yes. With you being the tenured, 400 career wins, did you go to Scott Cross when he was hired going, look, this is my school. Here's the, here's your expectations. You got to do. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'll work uh, one hall, one door over from the greatest men's basketball coaching staff that anybody could ever work with. They're the greatest guys. We're so happy that they've earned a, a buy in the tournament. And um, you know, Troy, our, our, our hashtag is one Troy. People think somebody in marketing just made that up, but it's really what it's like there. Um, you know, we were on the bus coming back from the um, the Coastal game our, our, and just so excited and cheering for our softball team who beat upset a, a power five, you know, Ohio State, I believe. And we were so excited for them. So so that's funny, but it, absolutely not. And, you know, he's a he's a great guy. He he's a he has a servant heart as well. And so it's almost like, oh, do you need the, you need the arena. Oh, do you need the arena? You know, we always try to put the other one first and we always I guess we come out better 
both of us because of that. Not a good story, but I, but I like it. I, I would have loved for you to have gone next door and be like, look, every year we're winning championships. Scott, you got to do it too. Get I on board. Exactly. It. Come on. I think he feels that pressure. I think he feels that pressure, but he's doing an amazing job. They've turned it around over there. Can't say enough. And they've done it the right way. So I can't say enough about them. They're true gentlemen over there. True gentlemen. I love it. Who's the player that we need to watch for as the tournament gets ready to kick off for y'all on Friday? Of course, Felmas Karanga is amazing. And I saw something come out of her because she's the, she's literally the nicest, sweetest person I've ever met in my life. Hands down. She, she literally will not let you like on the way home. If we're getting extra food or something, she literally, I'm not kidding. She asked us to donate whatever we would give her. She's the nicest, most giving person I've ever met. And at coastal game, thank goodness. They were so physical. They're so big and so physical. And the officials were letting us play really physical both ways. And I saw some madness and meanness come out of her. So she was already, I think, averaging double-double and getting 20, got 24 rebounds the other night. And, and, you know, she's already a great player. But I can only imagine once that came out of her, once we see she does have another side, we're all really excited to see what she's going to do in the tournament from here on out. Um, you know, because, again, just, just getting pounded on so much and, and, and I'll just kind of brought it out of her. So definitely Felmus. And, you know, we have eight women on our basketball team that have their college degrees. So we, because of uh, the COVID year being granted another year and, and a, a mixture of that and because of the transfer portal, we had we actually had celebrated 10 people on senior night this night, this year. Five of them, they're through their eligibility. Five could come back. But nevertheless, they, um, they're very mature. They've been playing basketball a long time. And we really rolled the dice and gambled on that because we said, what if all these folks come back and they're not hungry for it anymore or their knees are too, too given out? You know, what if we've made a mistake? What if we make a mistake? But I went back to my philosophy that is always the way I do it. Put a period at the end of the sentence. I'm going to get the best player I can get. Now, we're not going to add, we're not going to add qualifiers after that, like, they can sit up straight in Sunday school or, or they sit, you know, whatever. We're not going to add any qualifiers that I'm going to go get the best players I can get to play basketball, Troy, period. And those are the ones we came up with. And we've got a lot of experience on our team. When you say who there, who is there to watch, there's really no telling because we've got a lot of experienced players. The ones that transferred to us from Kansas, we had the player of the year from the Southland come here. The players that transferred here came for one reason. We're winning championships. They didn't get to do it at their other school. They wanted a chance. So when you have that chemistry on your team, it's a, it, things start bubbling to the surface at this time of year. When, you, when you're in a situation, any, if you lose, you cruise, you better fight. You better fight for what you came here to do. I think you could see a lot of them rise up. So Felmas is obviously a talented one. Tina Stevens is, a, is the other post player that's starting for us. She uh, transferred from Kansas amazing post player, best passer on our team that can really get it done. Probably the smartest basketball player on our team uh, as far as basketball sense. Um, we also have Jalea Dunlap coming off the bench as a post player who has a long journey, signed with North Carolina out of high school, went and played at Gulf Coast, won a national championship there at junior college, went and played at Ole Miss. We'd recruited her the whole way. Finally, she uh, transferred back to us two years ago, had to sit out one year. We didn't have the transfer portal then. She had to sit out a year. And she's really an amazing player, was a top 25 player in the nation out of high school, but has been injured a lot. 
and she's healthy now and this is her last shot at it so I would think you're going to see some special things that are by the way she's averaged I think 12 minutes a game for us that she's been healthy but she leads the conference in block shots and I think she's in the top five in the nation so that's interesting it changes everything when she comes in the game because if 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 somebody is beating our guards off the dribble drive you know it's you got something to deal with when she's got her hands up in there and she's a great her timing is great to block shots. And I don't want to leave my returners out. Jasmine Robinson is a five-year starting point guard for me. Who can say they've had a five-year starting point guard? She's been, she started as a freshman for me. She's been starting the whole time. She chose to come back this year. She and Tia Johnson and Janiah Sandifer, they've been starting here a long time. So, I mean, you never know. I, I, I think it's by committee. Every night that we get to play in the tournament might be a different player that shines, I think. With that said, the landscape of the Sunbelt Conference is changing. Have you kind of stopped and looked at these four teams that are coming into the league and kind of given your thoughts of uh, what the league's going to look like starting next year, hopefully? I haven't spent much time on it. I know who's coming in the league. I, I, I do look at their scores when I check the scores every day. I mean, I know um, – I mean, I could probably tell you basically what their go-to defense is. Just, you know, I just start asking around. But haven't put too much into it because – Still, it's been up in the air, back and forth so much as whether are they coming this year, are they not? Is it is it a done deal? Is it not? And and again, I've got my hands full with the ones that are in the Sunbelt Conference, trying to night in and night out, um, trying to do whatever we can to, to, to feed these great coaches and great teams that are in our league right now. Well, Coach, we wish you the best of luck this week and look forward to having a clipping of the net sent to us. Thank you. We'll do it. We, if we can, if we're blessed to do it again, we would love to do that. And thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. And go Trojans. So we've talked men's, we've talked women's basketball. Now it's also baseball, softball season, guys. <laughs> One of the most exciting games over the weekend in baseball, Texas state got a win over perennial powerhouse, Wichita state, but then got a series sweep against the Ohio state. You know, Sunbelt's supposed to win those games, though, Tibbs. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen with Sunbelt baseball. We are supposed to be an upper-tier baseball league. So when I see that we beat teams like that, I just sort of nod now. I don't really go, oh, wow, that was a big win. I just don't have that in me now anymore. Now, if Arkansas State won a game like that, yeah, then I'd be pretty gung-ho because Arkansas State really is bad at baseball. But those upper echelon teams, the Louisianas, the Texas States, the uh, South Alabamas, those teams should be wrecking through whatever opponents that they have. And when they don't, it's a disappointment. Coastal Carolina got the win over West Virginia in midweek action. South Alabama put a little beat down on future Sunbelt member, South Alabama, six to five. Arkansas State. Sunbelt. (laughs) Arkansas State, 0 and 4. Yeah. They didn't even want to play. They started icing over the stadium so they didn't have to play. Uh, I thought we were 0-3, but maybe we are 0-4. We, we, I know we played Sanford and got swept by Sanford. I, I thought maybe it was three games, so maybe it was four games. Our game against Old Miss. Oh, that's right. The Old Miss game was played mostly, and then they called the game. Okay, you're right. Yes, destroyed by Ole Miss. Arkansas State will not be a good baseball team again this year. So when we start talking more and more about baseball, expect me to be on suicide watch while Ben enjoys life to the fullest, eating grapes, drinking wine, and enjoying the success of Georgia State baseball. 
upper end of the conference, though, Texas State, Coastal Carolina, Little Rock, all with just one loss so far on the season. In softball, we mentioned that in baseball, the Ohio State got burnt by the Sun Belt. They got it in softball, too, as Troy beat them 4-0. Louisiana Lafayette off to a 10-2 and record. Their only two losses are to number two Alabama. Wow. Guys, it, it's not getting any easier on the softball side. No, no, it's not. You know, uh, it, softball is one of those things, too, where it can be a little bit like women's basketball, where a couple uh, programs in the Sun Belt seem to dominate all the time. But I would like to see a little more diversity in the in Sun Belt with the softball. That would be really cool. The Dukes or Dukesses are, are coming. The Duchesses? Would they be the Duchesses? I don't know what they would call their like women. Lady Dukes? I don't know how that works. Yeah. Ooh. We'll have to figure that out. We'll have to reach out to, to James Madison's SID. Um, by, by the way, boys, we have a football schedule next week, Tuesday, the release. It, should, it shouldn't spark any controversy either, right? Not at I, all. Uh, hey, are the, are the newbies going to be on there? Wait. Don't feel like Commissioner Gill has any choice but to put out a similar uh sort of similar gauntlet for cusa and if he doesn't i pretty much think he's saying can, saying yeah we're gonna we're not gonna get these guys for 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 next fall what do you guys think about that well my, my the folks that i've talked to around the league believe that uh the newbies will be on there all four uh come tuesday so i'm i'm very interested uh I, i've tapped the network and reached out to a couple of people um, that I'm connected with, and I've gotten a couple of no comments, which are fun. Uh, so that means there's something brewing, and they just don't want to be associated with it, and that's fine with me. Uh, no, no, uh, no breaking news necessarily here on the Fun Belt Podcast. Okay. Um, but you know, the, the good news ultimately is we will have a schedule. Now, is that schedule going to hold up? We don't really know. Um, there are restraining orders, as we've seen. Uh, as we also know, billing, uh, you know, billable hours are undefeated. Uh, the legal legalese and the legal uh, jujitsu that uh, the conference USA is trying to do as well. And the Sunbelt can kind of figure that out as well. But we do know James Madison is going to be on some, uh, some team schedules. Um, how does that look? Um, you know, what we're, you know, we have, you know, kind of known where the East and West would fall if all four teams come in there. Uh, where is the crossover rival games? You know, do you have repeat games? And we, we've talked to coaches, we've talked to, you know, even you know, commissioner Gill about it where you don't want to basically you know, have, to, have to play the same team twice at home or away. Um, you try to balance that out as much as possible, but it can be pretty difficult, right? I mean, you know, trying to manage everyone's schedule. Um, of course, you have contracted non-conference games on, on the books as well that you don't want to bump because the financial impact of that as well in September and in November in some cases. But uh, I can't wait to Tuesday uh, afternoon when, when uh, it, it drops and, and we'll all see what happens. It's going to be a beautiful, glorious mess, Thibodeau. And I, I don't see how it doesn't just become like almost like a trailer park brouhaha between two group of five conferences, you know, a sort of having, a, uh, having some sort of fist fight over a, a, a jilted girlfriend. What's, you- what's it going to look like in the end? You said it's a trailer park brouhaha. Are you already poking shade at our West Virginia counterparts? Absolutely not. I'm from Arkansas, man. We're, we're, the, we're the capital of trailer park fights. But uh, I, I will say that it, it does seem like 
if this were to between two bigger conferences, it would be a much bigger news story. It's between the Sun Belt and CUSA, so it hasn't really made the ripples it should. But this is a big deal. These are this like Ben said, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of logistics involved. There's a lot of planning involved. You know, we had our lawyer on uh, last week who tried to unravel it, and he, he made it sound like it was probably the biggest spaghetti tangle that you could possibly be involved with. So I don't know how the commissioners react to this. I don't know how what we're going to expect to see when fall comes around. I don't know what the contingent plans are. <laughs> so I think we have three asterisk that JMU is playing a heavy Sunbelt Conference schedule, but I think all three are in and on the schedules effective this week. Yeah, I, I think that they will be on these schedules. I am not as convinced as you are that it's going to shake out in the end. Uh, I do feel like CUSA has a lot of financial incentive to keep those three teams uh, in the league for one more season. I guess we'll see. You know, I, I, I kind of think a lot of this is spite, uh, but there's a great deal of it that's financial too. So I guess we're going to have to see what shakes out there in the end. Shifting gears on the football talk. Another thing that came out this past week, the, the Maction is looking at doing, and I kind of like this idea, you know, in, in the fall for NFL, teams will have a joint practice where they yeah. get to actually hit against someone not just on the practice squad. The MAC is actually reaching out and wanting to try to arrange either a scrimmage or a joint practice session to take up one of the 18 allowed fall practices with no more than 75 minutes of practice. It's really a practice just not beating against your own guys. What are your thoughts on that? Because I love this idea. I also love the, the proposal that had been floated about FCS, FBS games are used in lieu of spring games. Ooh, ah, very nice. I think all that would be interesting. I think any type of change uh, is something that, that gets the fans riled up and ready to go. I know that here in Arkansas, there had been talk uh, bandied about about having a University of Arkansas versus Arkansas State scrimmage. And that would kind of calm down some of the some of the uh, hot blooded discussions between the two programs. And I always thought that was a great idea. Uh, why not have, uh, especially uh, in spring or fall, I think spring would be great to have merge practices and kind of uh, see how things work out. Now, I, I don't know if, it, if it, that's a one off or a two off or you can continue with momentum on that. I don't know if there's logistic problems with that. At Arkansas State, if it's not U of A, I don't know who is your partner, if you have to truck down to Louisiana for a practice or not. I don't know how it works, but it sounds, it's exciting to me. I'd be more than happy to see that happen. Hell, we're writers. We're podcasters. Anything that's news, we're up for it. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And I think the NFL does obviously do a great job, you know, having much more resources than, than Sunbelt schools, for sure, you know, being able to fly teams in and going that way. But, you know, I, I you know, looking here in Metro Atlanta, I mean, you have, you know, what, what, eight, nine, ten uh, FBS programs that are that are drivable, uh, probably the same number for FCS schools. Uh, where you can, you know, look at, you know, quality programs like a Jacksonville State, for example, who's going to be on their way to FBS, having them make it, you know, short hour and a half, you know, bus ride uh, to Atlanta. Potentially, you've got Georgia Tech, University of Georgia, Kennesaw State's uh, a very top uh, FCS program as well. I think it would be a win. Um, as we know with the NCAA, they've been very, very slow to react to that. But I think the coaches would also like it because it's a low risk situation. 
you know, hey, I'm not going to lose to an FCS team, so I'm not going to schedule an upper, you know, tier FBS school or like you mentioned, Jeremy, an in-state FBS school where there is risk involved, right? If you're the coach of the University of Arkansas, Arkansas and you lose a game to Arkansas State, it's devastating, right? It's oh, the yeah. In the world, don't ever do it again. But in a scrimmage, <laughs> where you coaches and say, all right, we're going to have 60 plays, you know, and here we go. We're going to have ones on ones and twos on twos and be able to develop that. I, I see no negative from this. Um, you know, some people will bring up, you know, obviously the uh, spring roster size is, is going to be different than uh, fall roster size potentially, but just having competition. Cause as we know, you know, we're around these football programs. We talk to these coaches um, by the time that you get to practice 12, 13 in spring, it's the dog days, man. Like they're looking for different things. They're tired of hitting each other. It's the same thing in fall where they're, where they're you know, getting tired of, 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 you know, the defense knows every single play call. They know it where, where the, where the ball is going to go. Um, that kind of gets old because you really can't grade that out as much and get prepared that way. So just to have, you know, a new set a new eyes. And uh, I, I see very little, um, you know, negative with this and, and uh, which certainly means it'll take another five or six years. Oh, as definitely. Much as I love this. The argument that I also heard when they were discussing this, it's not going to happen because the schools out West, there's nobody to play with. They have no playmates. If you're Wyoming, are you really going to pack up on a plane to travel to Kansas to play? Are you going to go all the way to the East coast to play Buffalo, Montana, North Dakota state, something like that. I think, you know, I think there's, there are schools. I mean, you got division two schools out there that you can go. I mean, if, if you're Washington or you're Oregon, you, know, you can reach out in the state um, that way. But I mean, to, to your point, I mean, we're, we're uh, there, there's a lot more opponents plentiful uh, in the States that we live in and around that, that within, I mean, I'm just, just looking at, you know, you know, te teams that are around Sunbelt schools, you, you have a multitude. So I think from the Sunbelt's perspective, they would certainly be in favor of it if you just pulled the coaches. Yeah, Tibbs, and I think that, that the biggest reason why it won't happen is because it's a pretty good idea and the NCAA rejects pretty good ideas uh, whenever and wherever I can. And speaking of another good idea, Dusty Thibodeau, that's been happening in the news around football the last couple of weeks, it looks like there's really no concerted effort to bring an eight-man or, or eight-team or 12-team playoff uh, system into uh, FBS football right now. Uh, looks like they've tabled that for the time being. They're going to keep the four-team system. What do you guys think? Who cares? It'll never involve a G5 anyway. Ooh, oh, so much. Ah, so bitter. Ben, please have something a little more, more, uh, more uh, cheery, a little more competitive there. Sure. Uh, well, you've already had a G five so far in conference in, in the CFP already. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll I, I was with you, Dusty, and I was saying it for for basically decades is never say you know never never never. Uh, Cincinnati will be that asterisk, and they will be that that team that gets in there. Um, I think this just sets the table up, whether it's eight, whether it's 12, um, it's going to happen. The numbers are going to happen um, because, you know, you're, you're going to have more. I mean, we, we remember when college football was 11 regular season games. Now it's 12. Then you have a conference championship game. You know, the, the, the conversation between the power five commissioners is they don't want the automatic qualifier because you want a situation like Bama and Georgia both being in um, to say, hey, you know, if, if they don't get in or don't make the national, you know, make the championship. And I just look at it, uh, I think the, the, the rich and the top of the leagues, I mean, perfect scenario. So enacted this year, uh, you could have a scenario where a, a Georgia 
uh, Alabama and Texas A&M would get in from the SEC because of how the ratings fell. If you took eight, for example, or 12, I think it's just going to continue to stack that where you're going to have more of the same schools in that. Um, I, I think more than anything else, there is a genuine push to, because there is SEC fatigue nationally, um, you, you want to involve the West Coast. You want to have a Pac-12 champion or representative at the very least. Uh, you, you want to have a Big Ten representative uh, and you want Notre Dame in there. Oh, by the way, this is a TV show. So you have people mm-hmm. love Notre Dame. You have people that hate Notre Dame. They're going to get in if they only lose one game or maybe even two. Um, I, I think that's where the discussion goes. Uh, we know it's all about TV programming and the networks and things like that. Um, I think it eventually gets there. I'm glad that they punted because the, the stat that I love, uh, the, the semifinal games, the average margin of victory is over 17 points in the college playoff. The game games have not been competitive, which means people are checking out during the game. So adding more is not going to add the parity that, as we talked about a little bit earlier with, with March Madness, because you're not going to have a ULM go up and, try to go and beat Georgia, you know, in a college football playoff in a, you know, a one twelve scenario because, Hey, they won, you know, the Sunbelt title. It's, it's not the same. They're not playing the same game and uh, you know, on a one-off maybe, but um, I just think it just doesn't build, build for, you know, any room for a G five to, to have success in that scenario. Well, I don't know if uh, I, I, I don't know if I can make those arguments that, uh, whether or not a G5 program is going to benefit from a 12 or eight uh, team playoff. But I do know this, the 14 playoff has become as boring as hell to me. It's just not compelling to me at all. So they either have to find some way to fix this and make it a little more entertaining, or as far as I can start, just go back to regular bowl games and don't have a playoff system at all because the playoff system as it stands just feels like the same old teams all the time. And every now and then they'll throw in a Cincinnati and give everybody a bone, something else to root for. But for the most part, it's just Alabama's world and we have to live in it. Plugs, promos, parting shots. Kick it off there, Ben. Yeah, it's March Madness. I mentioned my favorite time of the year. There are so many com- – uh, you got spring practice going on. Uh, as we know, uh, we talked uh, transfer portal a little bit earlier and how the, the dynamics of it uh, changing, you know, the landscape in college sports, baseball, softball, uh, even track and field just wrapped up with Sunbelt. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of stuff to, to look at. And, and you, you know, uh, we, we have it all covered. The Panthers are in the, uh, the second week of spring practice under Sean Elliott. And uh, with, uh, with the schedule, certainly we'll, we'll have the preseason magazines and everything uh, roaring out here shortly thereafter. And, once we have a schedule, we get to uh, break it down and, of course, play the uh, the inevitable game, which game is a win, which which game is a loss, which is always my favorite. Hal Razor will be putting together a uh, Sunbelt primer for the uh, conference tournament, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, also, I want to give a shout-out to the uh, Red Wolves track and field team. They uh, did a sweep of the women's and men's indoor competition so uh good for the red wolves congratulations they've got a really good program up there in jonesboro and it's about times that people took notice warhawkreport.com always active message board haven't had much content lately just due to not a whole lot to write about but it's changing as spring football gets ready to kick off as well as 
baseball in full swing. Guys, I don't know if y'all have seen it or not. Coke has a new flavor called Ooh. Starlight that tastes mm. like space. Space is nasty, <laughs> is all I got to tell you. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we'll keep a, that in mind when I'm at the grocery store. I'll be looking for a, what's it called? Coca-Cola. Starlight. Starlight. Okay. I'll Star bright. Uh, Most well, nastiest thing I've had tonight. <laughs> With that, I am logging off. I love you all.